Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Craig, it seems like we're going through a whole series of tribute episodes. I know. Lately. People are dying left and right. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. It's a bummer. <laughs> this week's tribute episode, a person who has very recently passed away that should be near and dear to many of our hearts, famous director Ivan Reitman died in his sleep this month in February. Ivan Reitman is probably most famous for directing Ghostbusters. Right. But he's done a whole lot of stuff before that. He has a, such an interesting history. He has an interesting family history. And, you know, you would think that, oh, well, Ghostbusters. Maybe we would just do that on this podcast. Thankfully, Craig had uh, done a little bit of research and reached out to me before I saw it and said, you know, we could do Ghostbusters. It's kind of a horror movie. Yeah, well, it is. And not only that, but I can only assume that, like me, you know, being a kid of the 80s, I mean... Ghostbusters, oh, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Ghostbusters. Right? Ghostbusters is a, a great, great movie. And yeah, it's it's a comedy, I think, first and foremost. But it, it's a horror comedy. And and it's it's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, just so, so much talent, such, such oh great God. actors. And um, it was just a huge, huge success. And of course, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. That's what I texted you. I'm like, well, Ghostbusters, yeah. obviously... <laughs> However, it turns out that back in 1973, Ivan Reitman directed a little-known film called Cannibal Girls. Cannibal <laughs> Girls. <laughs> oh, how perfect is this? This just hits me in all the feels. <laughs> I was so happy to hear this. I'm so glad you found this. When you go online and you read about Cannibal Girls uh, in IMDb, and if you pretty much stop there, you're not actually going to get a ton of information about it. You're going to know that Ivan Reitman uh, directed it. It stars... <laughs> it's oh, so crazy. God, it's... <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it stars Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin in, in one of their first screen roles. Uh <laughs> A very young, very hairy Eugene yes. Levy. <laughs> and just in case you're racking your brain as to who Eugene Levy is, think about the um, American Pie movies. He's the dad. Oh, right? and Schitt's Creek. I don't know if you've watched Schitt's Creek, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't. He uh, he and his son Daniel wrote it and starred in it. Oh, God. It took me a minute to get into it, but then once I did, it's just one of the most clever, funny, heartwarming things, and, and just swept awards <laughs> shows uh, <laughs> over the past several years, um, and and rightfully so. Genius. And, and he yes, uh, all of the uh, Christopher Guest movies um mm. that he did in the Christopher Guest movies he was often paired with Catherine O'Hara uh the mm, mom right. from Home Alone and she played just brilliantly played his eccentric wife on Schitt's Creek you gotta watch it bro it, it's hilarious <laughs> you're not the first person who's told me I'm gonna have to check it out yeah it's just so cool like Eugene Levy just He's one of those actors that's just a character in himself, right? Yeah. Like, he just has a look. He has a way of speaking. It's unmistakable. And he gets cast in these roles that are just, it's perfect for him. But he has his roots in, like, SCTV, Second City, yeah. all that stuff. Like, he and his co-star in this film, Andrea Martin, both. Yeah. And both of them really owe a lot of this to Ivan Reitman. And everybody's from Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. SCTV. This, this movie, Cannibal Girls, was a Canadian production. And... As I was watching this, and I was just loving it to death, <laughs> because I love these kind of movies. It's a total grindhouse movie. It's like the epitome of a cheaply shot exploitation horror flick that is destined for the drive-in. But it's got a cool flair to it that I'm sure we'll talk about. When I was looking up Ivan Reitman and the genesis of this movie, I was got back into his college years and then back into his kid years. And I was shocked to find out that he is a first-generation um, Canadian American. He, his parents uh, were Hungarian Jews who survived the Holocaust. His mother survived Auschwitz. 
they fled uh, communist Czechoslovakia by hiding under the floorboards of a tugboat for five days. He was born in Czechoslovakia, made it to Canada, grew up in Canada, where his father, uh, who had owned a vinegar factory in Czechoslovakia before they had to leave, bought a dry cleaning business and a car wash and just started living the Canadian dream. (laughs) And uh, he ended up going to McMaster University in Ontario studying music. He just seems like the kind of guy I would have been friends with because he was involved in all the things that I would have been involved in. I was involved in in college. He directed some student plays. And then this being the mid to late 60s, it's a hippie time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. very, there's a strong counterculture thing happening in the U.S. and in Canada. And um, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening on college campuses, a lot of experimentation, drugs, sex, you know, kind of free love kind of time. He got very involved with the film scene here on the campus in McMaster. And there was this guy named John Hofses, who had just a couple years before him had started the film club up at McMaster's and created something they called the McMaster's Film Board or whatever. And uh, Ivan Reitman got involved in that and uh, started becoming a part of the film club. This John Hofses had these grand ideas about film and its ability to kind of help with sexual liberation and all this stuff. And he started producing these extremely arty, very experimental, sort of soft, you could say like softcore pornographic student films, but also he was doing arty things like with dual projection and and different soundtracks and people reading stuff while the film was going and trying to kind of had these very esoteric ideas about breaking down people's inhibitions by showing them sex frankly and from a distance and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, Ivan Reitman being a part of this scene ended up being a co-producer on this guy's movie, The Columbus of Sex in 1968, which was a student film. It required two projectors and they showed it on campus. And in the middle, about 20 minutes into the showing, a bunch of cops came in from the vice squad and shut it all down and arrested them all. <laughs> arrested him and uh, John, this John Hofsis and another person who was producing this film. They were charged and convicted of obscenity, and oh, he wow. ended up he ended up having to pay. Ivan Reitman ended up having to pay three hundred Canadian dollars, which I think was like the equivalent of twenty American bucks, <laughs> no. and got a you know suspended sentence or whatever like that, uh, probation for a year. It's just so cool because he, I, I don't know, I just feel like he was. You know, I was experimenting with movies and stuff in college, too. And I was mm-hmm. involved in theater and film and music and all that. And so I just thought, yeah, like, these, this is one of these guys, you know, that kind of came from that and uh, just grew something out of it. After that, they ended up selling that movie. They sold that movie to a, uh, an exhibitor in the United States. And then they cut it up and they shot some extra footage and they released it. And so then he went on to move into another movie called My Foxy Lady which was another sort of sex comedy, which didn't do too well, but it got distributed. And it also was Eugene Levy and um, Andrea Martin's first screen role. It was? Oh, wait, what? Before yep. this? Before this, Foxy Lady. Yep, they were both in. Oh, I didn't by the know way, that. By the way, Eugene Levy, fun fact, he was, a, he was a cinematographer on that student film that everybody got arrested for. <laughs> huh. Crazy, right? So anyway, uh, they did all this, and they did this... Uh, Foxy Lady, which he was his first directorial debut, starring Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin, didn't do too great, but was distributed, ended up uh, deciding, well, we need to go for the lucrative horror market. It was a total of 12 people just went in on it, uh, and they decided they were going to get equal shares and whatever they could produce out of it. And then they convinced Pathé Productions, which had an editing equipment and editing studio there, to forego all of the fees for using their equipment until after the film is picked up and they get money for it. Then they were going to pay these guys. The original budget, I think, was like 9000 9, or something like that. They ended up um, spending $12,000 putting this movie together. They cut it together. And uh, after they were finished cutting it together, they ended up with something that was 60 minutes long and they all decided wasn't very good. (laughs) So Ivan Reitman, he goes to his dad and borrows money. They shoot extra scenes in Ontario and Toronto, some other places, and try to flesh this out to something that makes a little more sense and is about an hour and a half long now. So I think it's an hour, 24 minutes. Yeah. And uh, there you go. Uh, It premiered at at a horror festival in Spain, 
And it was a down-to-the-wire kind of thing. It almost didn't even premiere because they were in dispute with Pathé over their money. Pathé was threatening to hold on to the negatives unless they signed over all the rights to them because they were tired of waiting. And uh, his co-producer on this just basically gave an ultimatum and said, if you do that, I'm just going to drive the negatives off a cliff. I've spent two years on this movie. I don't give a care anymore. And uh, they were shocked by that. And they ended up releasing the negatives to them. And they managed to get a finished print of this film in their hands in the Spain 30 minutes before this produced, the, before oh, this wow. premiered on screen. Yeah. It premiered at, for like 15 people. <laughs> but it just so happened that one of the 15 people in the audience was a um, scout for American International Pictures, which was Roger Corman and um, Samuel Arcoff's mm. big B-movie distribution machine in the United States. Uh, this guy said, you've got to show this to Sam Arkoff. And they were like, holy crap, Sam Arkoff, he's like a god. They ended up going to uh, his, like, <laughs> like some crazy hotel. They had a second screening of this film for him. He and um, James H. Nicholson. James Nicholson ran American International Pictures, and it was the great B-picture releasing organization of, a, of an entire generation. And it's this extraordinary hotel on the tip of the Mediterranean. It's probably one of the most expensive hotels in the world. They would lead me to the biggest suite at the hotel because he was the number one guy. And the suite is full of people milling about. It's busy. And there, Sam, he says, okay, kid, come with me into the, ba- into the bedroom. And he's got this or- fresh orange juice glass with a Hotel du Cap napkin underneath it. And he moves the orange juice. He takes up this big, fat ballpoint pen, and he writes $50,000. And he gives it to me like this. And, um, and I said... Would you mind signing it? <laughs> and then after we recoup our costs, you can have 20% of the grosses. And that is how this film got U.S. distribution in mostly drive-in. It was released as a drive-in double feature with a movie called Raw Meat. Nice. Which starred Donald Pleasance and Christopher Lee. <laughs> wow. But Roger Corman was a little, you know, he's got his requirements. And you got to have a lot of nudity. you got to have a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. This movie's got nudity, but it doesn't have too much gore. And that was a bit of a problem. So he came up with this gimmick that he stole, I think, from an earlier William Castle-type production, where in the trailers for this film and in, in the screening of this movie, there would be a bell that would ring before some scene that would be shocking so that you knew to close your eyes. Uh-huh. And then you could open your eyes again after the doorbell sound, which lets you know that it's safe to watch again. During the showing of Cannibal Girls, in consideration of those of you with delicate sensibilities... A special warning bell has been installed. It will signal you when to close your eyes to avoid certain scenes of a shocking nature. Apparently that was successful. If you get the DVD version of it, there's an option to turn that on. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) I know. I I really kind of wished that we had been able to see that. Right? (laughs) I I just wanted to know. I just wanted to know what it was like. I I thought it was actually really kind of clever and gimmicky. And um, I know that uh, Corman and probably others like him were experimenting with those types of gimmicky type things um in the theater you know like smell vision and you know all all of these uh gimmicky type things i kind of it it would have been funny to be able to see that but whatever (laughs) why don't we do that anymore we should do shit like that now right (laughs) that would be kind of gimmicks are fun (laughs) so they shot this movie uh it was uh nine 16 hour days in a row and when you watch the credits for this film, it's, I mean, actually, to their credit, it, it mentions it's a story by such and such person, uh, uh, writer written by Robert Sandler. But then... But, yeah. Yeah. It says the dialogue was developed by the cast, basically. So, apparently, they basically just had a rough outline. It was like a 13, 14-page outline of the movie and the, with the main beats and stuff. But then... All of the dialogue in this was improvised by the cast. Yeah, I would imagine that most of that was the Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin stuff because they're yeah. the ones who have the most dialogue. The the everybody else, there's not really a whole lot of talking. You know, there there are just things happening. But it's interesting. You know, I, sadly, uh, I only worked on one student short film when I was in college, and it wasn't with you. It was with another 
filmmaker, and and I had such a a wonderful time doing it. Like it was just so much fun. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you're doing that, when you're doing those types of small, cheap productions, everybody just does whatever needs to be done. And so, uh, as I was looking you know, over this cast list and looking at the people, because aside from Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin, Andrea Martin, by the way, went on to have a very, also have a very uh, successful and prolific career. Yeah, she's still going. Oh, yes. Um, She was in the original Black Christmas. She was in the first Black Christmas remake. She was in my Big Fat Greek wedding movies and TV show, I think, like, She's very recognizable. Uh, just a hilarious lady. Both of these stars uh, are just genius, yeah. funny people. Um, and and y- you get a little bit, you know, this this movie's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It, it, it's billed as a horror comedy. It's light on the comedy. Or yeah. at least it's not like... It's not, you know, slap your knee, ha, ha, ha comedy. It's it's more just like, this is silly. Wacky. And, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> almost almost a surreal sort of odd comedy in a way, too, right? There's some weird yeah. stuff in here. <laughs> well, but I just, uh, the three, the, the cannibal girls, <laughs> I, just, I just love that. They were all... Uh, it, it, it says in the opening credits and introducing, and it lists their names as the Cannibal <laughs> Girls. So these are, you know, nobody actresses. And uh, I noticed that uh, Randall Carpenter, who plays Anthea, who's the blonde. There's a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. It's <laughs> perfect. So clever. Um, <laughs> but the one who plays uh, the blonde, she was also the costume supervisor. Like I can just only imagine, <laughs> right? That right. this was, you know, a labor of love or they just had to do things because there was nobody else to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you and I have both been in that situation where you just wear whatever hat you have to wear because yeah. somebody has to. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and how cool if if we could have just like approached some distributor with with the shit that we made and uh, they're like yeah yeah there's a bunch of people out there who watch this shit you know while they're making out in the back of a car and, and uh, you <laughs> right. know make money but anyway let's get back to cannibal girls cannibal girls oh my gosh oh i just look i just I, love I, these movies i know you do and so i was kind of you know when i when i realized what it was i didn't look too much into it i I saw the title i saw that it was 1973 and i was like do i mention it to todd (laughs) do i just say let's do ghostbusters because i knew if i mentioned this i'm all that you would want to do it but but frankly i i was intrigued too well honestly we don't do enough of these kinds of movies here uh, we've we haven't really i mean uh, we we do a variety of films there's only so many movies you can do you know once a week but as far as like a grindhouse type drive and pick like maybe 3 in the last 6 years yeah not many at all yeah. and and that's that's probably mostly my fault i guess <laughs> um well there's too much to choose from well there are but I, I i just this isn't what i'm typically drawn to but i i saw this and i saw who was in it and i, I you know i knew this wasn't necessarily going to be the type of eugene levy stuff that i am familiar with I, I i knew it was going to be something different but i was uh interested in seeing where he and andrea martin kind of began and frankly i expected it to be bad and it is but it wasn't as bad as i thought it was gonna no. be and and honestly like when it was over i just had like this shit-eating grin on my face like i know <laughs> right i I expected this to be so, I expected, let me just put it this way. I expected this to be as bad as the movies I shot when I was in college. And and I was really surprised, actually, at at, uh, the moments of cleverness and just the overall effect that it gave and what I got out of it at the end. I thought this movie sort of does deserve to be be talked about. And, And I don't think that many people know about it. I had never heard of it. 
at all. Yeah, um, me knew neither. nothing about it. Uh, being a fan of both of these lead actors, I had no idea. And I don't think it's widely known. No. Uh, I think that it has a small audience who appreciates it, but I don't think a lot of people have seen it. And if you haven't seen it, I say you should check it out. And and honestly, like usually we're like, if you haven't seen it, then turn this off and and, <laughs> and watch it and come back. No, you can listen. It. It's fine. Yeah, it's no, not. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what you think it's going to be. It's just better than you'll expect <laughs> it's, I think. it's so funny you say that because the poster itself the tagline is these girls do exactly what you think they do <laughs> <laughs> cannibal girls <laughs> right. it, it, it wears its heart on its sleeve this movie well, well, and it's like when it comes down to it, it's kind of like that the farmer's daughter kind of story, you know, mm, like there, yeah. you know, there's this farmhouse and these beautiful girls live there. And like, you know, that can go in a couple of different directions. <laughs> mm. That's right. I'm and in, in this case, it kind of teases you, and it, it, it does go in that direction, because, mm-hmm. like, they lure men to the farmhouse for sex and naked time, but then they have, like, rituals, blood rituals, and they eat them. <laughs> 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 this was a this was a common issue in the late se- in the early seventies in Canada, by the way. Which uh, this film this film was good at bringing that to light and raising awareness. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, apparently, before we talk about the movie, apparently to wrap things up on the history, this movie was one of the very first Canadian productions that really broke through and got major distribution south of the border and kind of paved the way for all of these other Canadian horror movies that we've been talking about incessantly on this podcast. Uh, Prom Night and, you know, uh, Black Christmas and all of those films you could argue, oh, a little bit to this movie, weirdly enough, many people will say this, because this was the first one to kind of say, like, hey, maybe we can make a thing out of this up here in Canada, where at this time, Canada's film scene was kind of struggling, like, what do we do? You know, how do we build this up? Uh, And the Canadian Film Board, even to this day, is really good at funding independent films and promoting Canada as a place to make movies. Well, they were turned down by the Canadian Film Board. But after the distribution of this film and a couple that kind of came in its wake and inspired by this movie, as well as Ivan Reitman's subsequently produced movies. Ivan Reitman went from here to produce a movie called Deranged, another horror movie. And then two uh, of David Cronenberg's first films, uh, Shivers and Rabid, which starred Marilyn Chambers, he produced. Again, Canadian filmmakers shooting in Canada, getting wide distribution in the States. And so it sort of, in a way, opened up the floodgates uh, for the ability for people to kind of take notice and uh, take Canadian film a little bit more seriously. And now a lot of films actually are at least partially shot in Canada because of the development of the film scene up there. Well, and it's cheaper too, right? Exactly. Well, that's the point, right? The government kind of like really encouraged it, pushes it, offers a lot of tax breaks, and also offers a lot of support, government support, to Canadian filmmakers as well. But anyway, Cannibal Girls. (laughs) There's an opening kill scene. And like, it's funny because when it first opens, like it's this aerial shot of a coast. And I kept pushing my volume like... I can't hear it. Something's wrong. The link that Todd sent me is broken. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's just no sound for the first couple minutes. But it zooms in on these lovers frolicking on the beach. Of course, it's Canada, so it's not like it's tropical. There's it's cold. snow on the ground. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But they're just frolicking on the beach, and you know they fall to the ground and start fooling around you know in their snowsuits <laughs> and uh, then you see a killer pov and uh somebody the guy is you know, they're not they're not having sex they're just smooching on the beach but somebody pulls him off the guy off the top of the girl 
and kills him with a pickaxe. And and it, it it's a woman. I mean, you or at least you you would assume it's a woman. It look it, it, the the person has painted red fingernails and is wearing what looks like a woman's sweater. It is a woman. It's not yeah. misdirection. Um, but they kill uh, the guy, and then. They uh, <laughs> rip the girl's shirt yeah. open to expose her breasts and rub some blood between her breasts. And that's it. And that's the last you ever see of her, which is a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. Was it the last we see of her? I thought it was the blonde we eventually ended up seeing. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. No. Oh, later. Okay, so then uh, Lugene Levy, who plays... Cliff and Andrea Martin, who plays Gloria, they are a young couple, a new couple. They've been together for like a month, but they are just going away for a weekend and they're just, you know, wherever the wind blows them, you know, they're just going to stop at some small town or whatever. And their, their car dies and, and that goes on for far it does. too long. Now, um, I, I don't, I want to interrupt you here because you missed the credit sequence. Like under the credit sequence is this odd, this oh, odd yeah. montage. Uh, it's cool though of these girls. It's like there's this farmhouse and there are these girls kind of coming and going. And then there's this dude that's like an Igor type hunchback kind of weird guy yeah. who's like digging in the garden. And one of the girls comes out of the house and lays like a bowl of food down for him. And he just runs up to it like a dog and just starts like eating the food out of it it's todd please tell me that you did this research because i didn't but i am absolutely fascinated this igor character is played himself. by himself he's he's <laughs> yes he's he's credited as himself bunker as himself and i i clicked on his imdb page and he's been in two movies credited as himself like, i have no what? idea who is this? I wish I knew. I looked for it too. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> it's but yeah, like he's like a hunchback deranged kind of character and he's just billed as him. That's so oh, weird. God. I, but you're right. It is very strange. And we just basically see these three beautiful yeah. young women again, a platinum blonde, uh, you know, a, a cherry red redhead. Um, and a brunette. Like your typical 70s girls. Uh, long hair. Yes. Just, yes. There's a way. They had a way with makeup and stuff at this era that I, I kind of like. <laughs> they did. The, it, well, and the Marsha Brady hair, just long yeah. and, and, you know, sl- not slicked down, but just like brushed totally straight, you know, whatever. And the three of them are very beautiful. They don't really have a whole lot of acting to do. They mostly just do a lot of killing and like... Munching on blood. Caressing <laughs> and... Disrobing. <laughs> Thankfully. Right. Singing. Oh, they're singing too, that's right. And and all of this, you know, you see this and then there's like weird... What what, what do you call it? Like the, the, the face of this weird guy like superimposed. Yeah, over. it's like this odd montage, right? Where it's like his crazy eyes and then the girls one after another. And yeah, that was... It's, it's a little it's, arty. Right. Yeah. It's weird. I like it though. Yeah. And then the two the the couple is stranded. They're they I have in my notes, their car won't start, and then it does. And then it dies again. And then it starts again. <laughs> After she like, talks to it. Nice. Okay, I get it. Yeah, she gives it a pep talk. Oh you that know, was funny. <laughs> I know it's been hard on you. It's very cold outside. And I, I know that you'd rather just be sitting someplace, but if you could help us out just this once, we'd really appreciate it. Gloria, please. Uh, go ahead, talk like that. Don't be sarcastic. Oh, I wasn't sarcastic. I wasn't, sarca- wasn't sarcastic, Carr. wasn't sarcastic. Go ahead. It's going to start, eh? Go ahead. We love you. <sighs> love you. Love you. There's, there's so much. Honestly, as I was watching this, there were so many times when I'm like, this is hilarious. I hope that he cuts this in because <laughs> there are so many parts that are just so they are. funny. And, and they're played it's, straight. It's a, it's a very understated comedy, right? Uh-huh. It's played super straight and it just make, it's so much funnier that way. Mm-hmm. And I liked this bit between the two of them in the car because... I mean, it did go on too long, for sure, but it kind of set them up. Just sort of wacky, but cute, and 
somewhat charming couple. And and I, you know, initially when you see a couple like this and they're driving a car and they're going down the road, I sort of imagine, oh, maybe they're husband and wife, maybe they're, you know, longtime boyfriend, girlfriend, but it's it's much, much later in the movie that we find out they've only been dating for like a month or two. But they've yeah. got this it's the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. But they got this chemistry that's that's really cute. And there's like a probably because they're ad libbing and because the camera just keeps rolling. But there's sort of a uh-huh. a realistic kind of relatable quality to it. Like if you had just let a camera go on my family for ten minutes, you know, it would more or less sort of right. be like this. Mostly boring, but <laughs> you get you know some interaction and stuff. I didn't know that they had worked together before. A lot of the hi- some of the history that you said contradicts what the IMDb it's trivia true. said because you said that they had done a film before and the IMDb trivia says that this is Andrea Martin's first film. Now, maybe this is the first one that you know, actually got distributed. I don't know. But knowing that they had worked together before, now I can see that. These are these are, seem to be two people who are familiar with one another and comfortable mm-hmm. with one another. And that, that reads on the screen. And and she's playing kind of ditzy and flighty, but likable. And he is playing kind of cool and it seems like he's mostly into it for the sex, but you know, you right. know, like he, it's not like he doesn't enjoy, yeah. her. you know, like they, they, they seem like a believable, I believe that they've been together for a month, you know, like yeah. they're still getting to know each other. They, they enjoy each other's company. He gets a little irritated at some of her quirks sometimes, but he hasn't known her long enough that, you know, like they're not married, so it's not like <laughs> he despises her right. yet. <laughs> that takes a while. Even you have to be married for a while for yeah. that to happen sometimes. <laughs> All right, I know. Yeah, but it's cute. My, I mean, my point, yeah. and I think your point too, is that there's something kind of charming about these two people in the beginning, and there and is. I think it helps. I mean, it really helps with the movie because most of movies of this caliber don't really even bother with that. No, you're right. You're right. They they are characters that you not that you necessarily care about. I mean, if they get eaten by the cannibal girls, that's fine, but they they feel like real people. They don't just feel like lame bad actors yeah. in a movie. Um but anyway, so they they end up going to this mechanic shop and they run into first of all, everybody who works at the mechanic shop is super <laughs> shady and like yeah. the chief of police is hanging out there and he's also obviously super shady. There's no sense in trying to hide anything about this movie as it turns out Everybody in the town yeah. is in on this. <laughs> like, I don't know if there's some kind it's of like, like a cult or something. Right. Yeah. But everybody's in on it. But there's another, you know, they're there. And there's another outsider there who's asking around and he's showing this picture. And he's like, have you seen this girl? She's my sister. Well, that was the girl on the beach. But we, but we never see her again. No. Which doesn't make sense because it seems ultimately... It seems like, and I do feel like I'm giving something away here, but I don't care. Ultimately, it seems like they're actively recruiting cannibal yep. girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why, so why wouldn't she be maybe, one now? Maybe there are multiple houses with myth cannibal girls in it or something. I don't know. Maybe she resisted. I don't know. But they they get directed by the shady AF uh, mechanic to this motel down the street. I don't remember. Mrs. Wainwright's yes. motel or whatever. And Mrs. Mrs. Wainwright is this, you know, frail little old lady with a walker. And she tells them, she's like, oh, yeah, we don't get many people around here very much. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the le- Maybe it's because of the old legend. <laughs> because of this creepy legend in our town. Who knows? <laughs> and then she tells the whole story and you see it in flashback and it's detailed and wonderful. I love this. I love this whole concept that there's this whole flashback that detailed where the cannibal girls, well, just the idea. By the way, 
Mrs. Rain- Wainwright, the actress who played this, May Jarvis is her name. She is apparently was from a wealthy, very like historically popular family in Toronto. Like there's a Jarvis Street in Toronto that's named after her grandfather. And oh, wow. so she owned the farmhouse that they ended up shooting most of this movie in. And so they put her in the movie. <laughs> so that's how she ended up in here. That's hilarious. So she tells this tale, which is loads of fun. And I love the way it's cut together, too. Uh, there's a guy that we later hear is named Earl, and he's just camping. He's camping without a tent. I don't know. Maybe he just laid yeah, just down. Asleep just in the woods. Asleep in the you woods. Know. Maybe he just laid down and put his head on the log. And this girl comes up to him. That's the blonde girl. And she's all seductive. It's like, hey, why don't you follow me? And he's like, ooh, hey, cool. You're a hot chick. Okay, I'll go after you. So they leave. And then there's a guy named Felix who's sitting in a quote-unquote tavern, which we know because we see a close-up shot of some neon light that says tavern. And then the next shot is this guy (laughs) sitting at a table in front of a window, which looks suspiciously like just a window you might have in your house. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's a really tight shot, and you don't see anybody There's else anybody around else in this him. Tavern. Yeah, I mean it's low budget. It's funny. All, all three of these guys. There's Earl, Felix, and Rick. Each one of them gets picked up by one of the girls, and they all get brought back to the house. And then it's like they're just there for days. They play Monopoly. <laughs> Yes, they play Monopoly, they hang out, the girls cook for them. At some point, like, they're all having dinner together and all the girls are dressed in the same outfit and one of them comments on it and they're like, I don't know. (laughs) But it's just, like, they're all just there and lingering, like, on the assumed promise that they're going to get laid. Oh, they they talk about it. It's an open thing. Like, (laughs) one of them's like, oh, well, you know, like, one of them's like an ice cream salesman or something one of them's like, yeah one of them is a parade organizer <laughs> it's what? so silly it, it, one of them's just rich <laughs> he just says i'm rich yes but right they, they're open one of them wants to leave really fast like oh i gotta organize a parade soon and they're like yeah but yeah <laughs> you know why don't you just hang out here for a little while longer because you know we're all gonna get laid right and frauds you're here Two of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Three. That's right. Earl. Finally. One for you, one for you. Those bronze? <laughs> we've been waiting we, all the time. We've been bronze. waiting for Earl. That's right. You can't leave. Oh, man. don't forget the You'll parade. blow for all of us. I, I got to be in Buttonville. We can score. I haven't missed a parade in eight years. Have you ever had this good of a reason? Throughout this, then each of the girls are interacting with each of the guys. It's like each of the girls are sort of paired up with them. And... They're having these little moments, these little dialogues where there are these things being dropped. Like he'll say, she'll say something and whatever. Oh, I can't wait to eat. And, oh, food can be appetizing. Well, I'm looking forward to the main course myself. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there are all these. God, that was such a funny <laughs> line to me. You know, food can be a wonderful appetizer. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> It's just so funny. And like not even like again, they're playing it totally straight, but it's just so stupid that it's hilarious. And not even stupid in a bad way, like in a funny way. Like these guys are just they're following their dicks. Like it's so it just doesn't make any sense that these, you know, three hot girls who happen to live in this farmhouse just happen to find these rando three (laughs) guys and like, oh yeah, I'm sure. We're, you know we're gonna we're gonna hook up <laughs> like, okay Felix <laughs> okay okay Harry Felix Felix who's like a gorilla <laughs> <laughs> by the way this movie just like the 70s there's tons of hair in this movie <laughs> oh yeah I don't remember which guy there's one guy in his tidy whities who's like a yeah an ape but <laughs> you know okay. that was the thing back in those days um you know eventually Clarissa who I think is the redhead takes the rich girl i don't know who he is upstairs and and shows him her boobs (laughs) (laughs) but but then but then she she stabs him with some scissors and then the weird igor guy chops him up in the basement (laughs) and then leona who's the brunette actually does sleep with felix at least felix got laid um and he's the super hairy one And, like, she menaces him with a knife, which backs him into Anthea, who's the blonde, and she kills him with an axe. 
And then I'm I'm straight up reading from my notes. <laughs> then Anthea f***s Rob, or no, Rick, and then he wakes up handcuffed to the bed, and like he's oh, kind of panicked so for a second, but but then he's not because <laughs> then all three girls come in, and like they have like. One, one of the girls. <laughs> this seems like the beginning of something know. good, you know. Like, <laughs> I, it's so funny because they come in and and he he looks a little concerned at first, and then they come in and one of them has a, tr- a silver tray with a silver sort of uh, bowl on it, and there's a red liquid in the bowl, and they uh-huh. <laughs> like they pour a little bit of this red liquid on his chest, and they gather around him and they start like licking this off his chest, and it's so funny because. Actually, he's not even like really in the foreground. It's all about the girls and what they're doing. But you can just sort of see out of focus in the background. Like he's like smiling and like enjoy like yeah. this is amazing <laughs> kind of thing. And then he just screams. And one of the girls, you know, we get a close up on her as she like lifts up and her mouth is just full of blood and she's she's munching. And yeah. she's chewing. It, yeah. It's, uh-huh. So they're, they're Yeah. It's cool, though. I like this stuff. It was so Oh, I good. loved it. I thought it was, it was so great. I thought it was great. And then you're reminded that this is a uh, this is a flashback because suddenly we get back to them right. in the motel. <laughs> and, and Mrs. Mrs. Wainwright. And that's the story of the three cannibal girls. <laughs> <laughs> and they're and they're like and they're like well, what happened for them? Oh well, right now that house is it. You know that was a long time it's ago. A it's restaurant. a restaurant. It's a very popular restaurant. You should go. It's really exciting. I'll take you there. They're like, and they're like, there aren't any cannibal girls there, right? She's like, oh no, no cannibal girls there anymore. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And then one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, Gloria and Cliff end up back at the motel and they're sitting on the bed and... And this, I thought this, honestly, I thought this was comic genius. They're talking and they're just having, again, kind of like a real moments, you know? And he's kind of slowly sort of like playing with her. And then like he's talking with her and he's like spreads her legs a little bit and he's on top of her and he's kind of kissing her and smooching her. And they're kind of, you can tell like, okay, this is getting to sex. And then she says, you know what I would love more than anything right now? And he's like, no, what? And she says, if you would get your guitar and play a song for me. <laughs> so he's like, oh, uh, uh, okay. And he goes and he gets his guitar and he sits down. By the way, the whole time that they're rolling around in the bed, he has had a lit cigarette in his right hand. It's yeah, it's so All funny. the time. And uh, it is funny. But the thing that I loved about this scene and... I feel like it's exemplified in this scene, but it's probably true of the whole movie that they probably did most of this stuff in mm. one shot. Like it's true. It, the the stuff that happens between them is awkward. It doesn't feel staged. Yes, really at all. Like I imagine they had some direction, but it's not. It, it, like when he's trying to spread her legs, it's awkward Mm -hmm. but it's how real life is like real life doesn't just happen smoothly and balletically you know like feet get stuck and and he can't he can't figure out what to do with his cigarette like he's that was the best thing fingering around with his cigarette for the longest time until he finally his guitar has like strings that at, at the end, uh, just poking out everywhere, and he eventually just pokes his the butt of his cigarette into one of those strings. So it's just like it's bobbing, bobbing on, and then at some point, at some point, she's like playing with it, and <laughs> like it's just so obvious that they're just you know making this up as they go, and it's charming. Yes, I, I, it's I really almost like it. slice of life material, and, and mm-hmm. I. And but they're good enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, this is before these people are like trained in this kind of thing. I mean, these people are fresh out of college. You know, it was later when they're going to SCTV and and do improv and stuff like that. But at the same time, like it, it, they don't break character. It's it's smart. It's real. It moves. No. It feels real, like you said. And I found that really charming. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mrs. We got to get to the cannibal girls. Mrs. Wainwright walks them 
to this house. <laughs> the restaurant, you mean? Yeah, the restaurant. It's not even like accessible by the road. Like they have to walk up through the snow to get there. And then they go up and it's clearly just a house and they go inside and it's funny cuz they're like this where there this restaurant's weird and he's like, "Yeah, it's freaky." <laughs> <laughs> and they're the, they're of course the only ones there. And they're greeted by this guy in a tux and a top hat and gloves who introduces himself as the Reverend Alex St. John. And he's super weird. Cliff offhandedly says that he's seen the Reverend before. Did I miss something? Because I don't yeah, remember that. He, he, he says all. he seems familiar or whatever, but I, no, I don't think anything really came of that. Well, the, the the reverend guy is totally creepy with Gloria, like he's groping her ass as he's yeah. running around the house and stuff, and 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 she doesn't say anything, which which made me think, like, God, this is such a different time, like, yeah. Uh, I know that women have to put up with a lot of shit today, still, sadly, but I, I feel like this was a, a different time before women even necessarily felt like they could say yeah. something. Like, she just kind of has to, like, roll yeah. with it, which is disgusting. And he doesn't even notice the the This boyfriend. actor, Ronald Ulrich, when I first saw the credits, I thought, Robert Ulrich is in this? And then I kind of did a double, double take that it's Ronald Ulrich, and he hasn't been in anything else, which is kind of odd look he chews up the scenery in this in this movie but um mm-hmm. uh, i watched an interview with eugene levy who was talking about this movie and he mentioned that this guy he was like a seasoned stage actor i mean he's young but yeah like he very much he said this guy would like more than any of the rest of us in that production he was the real deal actor in the whole thing it's kind of ironic that he didn't end up going on to do anything else movie wise anyway yeah. but uh I can see that, though. He kind of seems like a stage actor. Yeah, it's sort of like a Willy Wonka-ish sort of yeah. thing, right? Where he's got a top hat, and he's yeah, wearing yeah. gloves. And, he has- and he's creepy, but not necessarily like run for the hills yet, Except at it's least. super obvious this isn't a restaurant. It's just a house. Nobody else is there. (laughs) Yeah, right. Eventually they sit down and he hands them a menu, but there's only one thing on the menu. But that's after he shows them around the house and he tells them all of these hilarious stories about these artifacts and and like portraits of people in the house it's like he works at disney's haunted mansion like (laughs) (laughs) everything is some story about how oh here's great aunt matilda she killed 47 people in 1932 yeah this is my grandfather's piano Uh, he was a man of rare taste and gusto a musical genius sometimes still you know in the dead of evening Religious hymns seem to fill this room. That's amazing, Rev. Do you know, just the other day, I thought I saw my distant cousin Rex. It's rumored that he liked men, sometimes exceedingly well. (laughs) Ah, well. He did produce some very fine children. Although, to be honest, none of them resemble him in the slightest. (laughs) I could have listened to him for another five minutes, but it goes on for a long time. It ends up with this weird, like, thing over the mantle, which doesn't even look particularly ominous. It's just, like, boards and snowshoes or something. He's like, but this is a shrine that was put together by those cannibal girls. I suppose I should take it down, but I can't bring myself to do it because it carries a terrible curse, and I'm very superstitious. (laughs) I mean, you know, in a way, it reminded me a little bit of The Mutilator. Do you remember in The Mutilator when that guy takes everybody, all of his friends, out to his father's beach house? And while they're in the living room, he's like telling all these bizarre artifacts and things that all have terrible stories behind them. Here's the spike that my dad killed somebody with. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very much like that. It's so haunted house, but just so funny. I I just loved it. The movie... It has kind of an art house feel to it because while he's telling them this thing, it's all in voiceover while yes. the camera is just very slowly and deliberately panning around the room to all of these things. Like we're sitting in the room just looking at this stuff, right, while he's talking. And that that was a jarring but also kind of cool way of, of presenting this. I, I thought it was creative. I like that bit. I, I love that. They, they 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 sit down to dinner and like I said, there's only one menu or item on the menu. The guy's like, "Oh, don't worry, you'll love it." And they're like, "Okay, well, 
we'll take two then. Um, and then the girls, Leona comes out and serves them wine, and he's like, mm. 1913 was a beautiful year. We grow the grapes ourselves, our own vineyards. They grow on my grandfather's grave. I don't know, there's something about human remains that add a certain earthy quality to wine. <laughs> and then he toasts to grandfather. <laughs> <sighs> So funny. <laughs> it's so good. And the other thing that's funny is like they are creeped out. Yeah. Um it it's a little bit like um uh Rocky Horror. Yeah. Like they're 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 in this weird ass place and they're kind of shooting each other glances <laughs> like what the this is what the hell did weird. we get into? <laughs> then there's like some, they hear a scream and there's some commotion and the reverend runs out and they try to get out of there, but they make the mistake of like fumbling around for money. Like they want to leave money to to pay. And so they don't get out of there fast enough. And uh, he comes back and he's like, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry about the disturbance. Dinner will be on me. Um, and they're like, well, okay. We better go. And he's like, "No, you should really spend the night." And they're like, "Oh, that's all right. We'll go." And and he's like, "Okay, that's fine." Um, but there is a maniac loose, and so if you hear anything at all in the forest while you're walking home, run as fast as you can and don't look behind you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they step outside the front door and it's this great shot where they step out there and suddenly it's dark and they slow down and they stop and they look around. It's the, storming. The thunder goes. <sighs> the dudes in the background, they look at each other and they're like, uh, you know what? Maybe we'll stay the night. <laughs> <laughs> It's good. Okay, so then, so so they do stay the night, and like he wants to get sexy times, and she's not really into it, but she starts to give in until the reverend like walks in. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry to disturb you," and like he only showed up to say, "If you hear any weird noises in the night, just ignore it," <laughs> and then he leaves. And she goes, "All right, that did it." <laughs> <laughs> but they but they stay anyway. You skipped over the parlor scene where he starts quoting Shakespeare and then the three girls get together and sing it to Oh him. yeah. That was Oh, oh they sing. So nice. yeah. yeah. For fear lest day should look their shames upon, they willfully themselves exile from light and must for I consort with black browed night. It sounds very familiar. Eugene Levy's character Cliff starts to kind of sing with them. It's so cute. <laughs> it's silly, but okay. So then the the they're they're asleep, and the Reverend and all three girls come in while they're asleep. They handcuff Eugene Levy to the bed, and then she wakes up, and the Reverend like hypnotizes her and like hands her like a huge knife, like she's supposed to kill him, but then. He screams, which breaks the trance, and she gets up and she runs away and she runs through the woods and then the castle freak attacks her mm-hmm. um, and she runs away from him. And then, now honestly, this is the part where it's like, okay, this movie is n- more than I expected. Yeah. She wakes up to Cliff waking her up in the motel. She had fallen asleep and he had left... To, to go get the car well, fixed. She falls asleep because she runs out to the car uh, and, and, and there's a cop or whatever, somebody, it's, I think it's a cop car, picks her up and the next thing we know, there's some guy, it's a doctor who gives her a pill, right? 
Yes, to that's ma- right. It's, right. It's, it's conspicuously a red pill. And I thought, because they're trying to get her to drink this blood or something, right? It seems like there's a whole blood thing going. Like they drink blood. There's some ritual. We get these scenes where it's made 100% obvious that the whole town is in on it. Like pretty every character that we've seen, the cop, the doctor, Mrs. Wainwright, the mechanic guys, are all gathered around this table eating meat with a portrait of the reverend hanging above them and the, the, you know they say something about him being their leader so we know that everybody's in on it so when this doctor picks her up and gives her a pill we know there's something going on she goes to sleep and she wakes up to Eugene Levy waking her up as though this had all been a nightmare yeah it's it, it's like the the earlier in the day it's the same we're back in the spot where they were on the bed. He was trying to spread her legs, and he ends up playing the guitar. Right. She's even wearing the same clothes. Right. And she's like, did you put me back in these clothes? <laughs> <laughs> but he's just playing it cool. Um, and then they they go, and like they walk around town, and she wants to get out of there. She tries to call her parents, collect, but the operator tells her that the phone lines are down. She tries to get a bus ticket to go back to Toronto or wherever they're from. Um, and uh, the person on the line tells her that, that there are no buses until the next day. And so she she tries to hitchhike. She jumps in the car. It's one of the creepy guys from the mechanic place. So she jumps back out. So she doesn't want to do that? Yeah. So she really has no choice but to stay. And he's being... Weird. I didn't I didn't know what to make of this. He's being weird and he's being kind of standoffish with her like he's trying to tell her that she's being crazy and there's nothing wrong and finally he's like fine do whatever you want. I don't care. If you want to leave go. And he walks away and while she's in the phone booth, we see out of focus behind her him talking to the police chief who we know is bad. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on. Yeah. And I don't know. They like they spend the day walking around the town. Nothing eventful happens. Eventually, once it's nighttime, but, but, they end up... Yeah, go ahead. Eventful things do happen, right? They, they walk by a, uh, mm, a barber mm. shop at one point. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking by, the barber who has like, uh, got you know a razor blade or whatever trimming around some guy's ear, like literally cuts his guy's ear off and he screams. Yeah. It's so fast that you could almost miss it. What a little bit of like comedy slash you know foreboding. I mean, we already know the whole town is cannibals or whatever. So, but right, I, I just loved the fact. This is what I loved about this movie is I was never bored. No, I was never bored. Me either. And then with this bit, with this whole her waking up again and like what is going on? Like you're like you said, there's suspicion cast on him because he's in the background. And I mean, this movie is so much better. Yes. than most of the movies like this yeah are agreed it, it's it's clever and it, it it was this was unexpected to me i didn't expect this twist but they you know at, at some point he's like eating a meat pie which he makes a point of saying and and he gives her a bite and like as she's taking a bite she i guess accidentally bites his finger like just little details i mean it doesn't mean anything but it's just interesting but then at the end of the day when it's nighttime they're just sitting on the curb and the police chief is like we don't like vagrants and hippies around here and they're like uh well we're staying at the motel and he's like okay we'll get in the back he's like where where am i supposed to drop you and the cliff is like well i guess the restaurant and i'm like what like (laughs) why would he automatically say that? But the cop takes them back to the rest, the quote-unquote restaurant mm-hmm. and drops them off. And he's like, and if you change your mind again, I'll be out here waiting for you. And he's like <laughs> holding his rifle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. So they go back in there and then... Hey. Craig, just, just yeah. a second, dude. There's somebody knocking on my door. Let me just answer it really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go for it. Go for it. No problem. No problem. Hello, loyal listeners. I'm going to cut in right here and let you know that at this point in our recording, the cops showed up at my door, which was a funny little incident that happened. And uh, because we normally edit these sorts of things out of the podcast, you're not going to hear it here. However, if you are interested in hearing the full unedited version of this 
hear a little bit of my encounter with the Chinese police, uh, as well as uh, all of the podcasts that we do in the future. We're currently running a Patreon campaign. Uh, If you go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com, you can check out the details on that. If you throw a few bucks our way and become a patron... We have uh, several benefits. One of those is the access to the completely unedited versions of our phone calls every week in case that's something that's interesting to you. One thing that we've put together especially for folks is access to a full interview that our loyal listener Heather has put together with us and she asks us a bunch of personal questions, a bunch of questions about the podcast, horror movies, what goes into doing this, what we've learned over the years. I think it's a lot of fun and very entertaining and that is going to be available exclusively for our patrons. Also accessible for patrons is mini-sodes that we're going to be putting together, a few of those per month. We're just a shorter version of what we do here. Maybe one of us, maybe both of us, depending on how we're feeling. Talking about some movies that we've watched and our thoughts on those as well. So once again, if you're interested in hearing my encounter with the police (laughs) and uh, all of these other extra goodies that I've just rattled off, please go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com and consider tossing a few bucks our way to keep this podcast going and become a patron. Thank you so much for your support. Okay, so um, he drops them off there, and then, you know, just they're, they're in there for like a second, and then the freaky Igor guy, the reverend, and all of the girls show up and walk in the room, and Cliff, Cliff is like, well, I brought her. So I guess he was in on this. Like, I think that what had happened was they told him that if he could deliver her... They would let him go. Mm. So he tries to leave, but they don't let him. And then the uh, reverend hypnotizes her again and hands her a mace, and she kills him with it. She swings it at him, and it hits him right in the abdomen, and Mm. he's all immediately dead. And so all the girls and the reverend join hands, kneel around him, and sing again. (laughs) (laughs) because you know that's what you do yeah and i have in my notes here i'm like oh well gloria has black hair so i guess now they're like a full set (laughs) (laughs) that's so true oh man i didn't even pick up on that (laughs) leave it leave it to you The freaky guy drags Cliff away, and then the next thing we see is all the Reverend and all of the girls, including Gloria, sitting around just feasting on meat. And it's like barbecue, and like all of the girls have like barbecue sauce and crap all over their hands and all (laughs) over their faces. And, And Gloria is sitting there, and she seems a little bit reluctant Um, But then she looks at the reverend and he gives her like a smile and a nod and she smiles and then she just digs in too. And then, and I thought this was so clever, it fades to Mrs. Wainwright talking to a new couple at the motel and Mm -hmm. saying, so that's the story of the four cannibal girls. Yep. The cycle continues. Yeah. And then that's the end. So like, obviously this is what they do. Oh gosh. I have to I have to admit to you while I was watching this movie, I was eating ribs. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, it was really gross. And here's the thing, like when when I was watching The Walking Dead, I haven't watched The Walking Dead for years. I gave up after like season 5, I think. But um I would I would watch The Walking Dead. I'd order chicken wings. I didn't care. <laughs> while I was watching this movie and eating ribs, there was something about these scenes where the where they're eating this stuff, this raw meat or this prepared stuff with red goop all over it and shit that was, yeah. it was just gross. It grossed me out. I, I don't know, maybe the Walking Dead gore is just too slick or whatever, and this was just uh, really visceral and gross. I was a little more grossed out than I usually am. I think it has something to do, too, with the juxtaposition of the beautiful girls. Oh, like, you're probably right, yeah. They're so beautiful, and then they've got sauce and crap all over their faces like it just doesn't seem right like mm. ew like <laughs> yeah you're, i think you're right about why, that. why do that yeah but it, it's effective and you know like you said uh, well i don't know one of us said 
I just uh, walked away feeling, you know, I wasn't bored. It was, it, it, it surprised me. Mm. I, I was expecting it to be really bad, and I was I ready was for that, and I, was, and I was okay with it. And I was, and, you know, going in, I'm like, I know it's going to be bad, but sometimes we have a really good time talking about these really bad movies. And, you know, if somebody were to say to me, this is a bad movie, I, I would say, that's, that's fair. It, it, it is, in many regards, depending on what you're judging quality based on. But I still had a really fun time with it. I'm glad to have watched it. I, I kind of can't wait to pull it out of my back pocket and talk about it. Oh, you like Eugene Levy? You should really check out Cannibal Girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know a whole lot about Ivan Reitman. What I know about Ivan Reitman is Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. I love Ghostbusters. I still love Ghostbusters. Uh, it's a hilarious movie. It's a lot of fun. It was the first horror movie that I remember being really, really interested in. And I wanted my, my parents went and saw it in the theater and I begged them to take me with them and they didn't and it was probably more a matter of them just wanting to have some time away from their kids mm -hmm. rather than thinking that it wasn't appropriate for me but I, I did eventually see it. Ghostbusters 2 wasn't as good but I mean I still enjoyed it. I guess in Ghostbusters 2 uh, at some point where they're doing you know these city shots of ghosts invading and stuff there's a, a theater and on the marquee it's Cannibal Girls and in uh, the newest Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife, they repeat that gag. There's there's a theater marquee with cannibal girls mm. on it. I had never heard of it before. I probably never would have if Ivan Reitman hadn't passed away and we weren't doing this podcast. Right. But I, I feel like it's a find. Like, this mm. is... It's just a, a little treasure that I knew nothing about and I went in totally blind and it was it was fun. I had, I had a great time. I did and I had a great time talking about it. I did too. I thought it was a fun movie. I was really shocked at how much like you said, I was shocked at how much I actually enjoyed it. I was never bored. It was weird, but it was also, you know, a product of its time. So kind of that bit of it is fun too, right? Just to <laughs> the slang and the dress and the talking about hippies and things and the excessive gore at times. It's not actually that gory really, but at times it it it's just yeah it, it's there's blood it 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 did definitely subvert my expectations and the humor part of it was just so I, I guess smart right like it was just so understated played straight that I thought that bit of it it, it sometimes it was goofy comedy sometimes it was just like you like we said like slice of life silliness and uh, yeah. You know, which can only come when you're just getting your friends together to do a movie and you're improvising half of it, whatever. Right, right. I mean, a little bit of a lightning in a bottle. I can see where this movie would have tickled people who were going to see it mm -hmm. for the first time in the drive-in or the grindhouse or whatever. Why it would have caught the uh, attention of a person like Samuel Ziarkov or um, Roger Corman and been distributed in the U.S. and you know, it, it was the springboard for Ivan Reitman's career. You know, he goes on from here to Meatballs and Stripes, uh, both of mm -hmm. which star Bill, Bill Murray, who was also a Second mm -hmm. City guy, who then therefore was a huge uh, actor in Ghostbusters and yep. launched his career, certainly. Uh, and, uh, you know, even into the 90s, uh, Ivan Reitman, I believe, was doing like Beethoven and Space Jam. Yeah. You know, he's had a cool career. Yeah. And he's a name that whenever it pops up on the screen, I do take notice. And uh, yeah. it's sad that he's gone, but uh, yeah. I would love to die in my sleep. I hope that's how it works for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. it's um, true. Very cool to see sort of the genesis of career and have this opportunity to explore this. Uh, we don't often think about, you know, that these people who are so famous and so popular today came from beginnings maybe so similar to ours they just had an interest in this sort of thing and they rounded up their friends together and they did this stuff yeah you know it ended up one way or another again launching them into this this great successful career it's, it's really cool it's really inspiring and uh yeah it is. i think a fitting tribute to uh his humble beginnings as the director of cannibal girls <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us online if you just search Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast, our Facebook page, our Twitter feed. Let us know what you thought of this episode and let us know what you'd like us to do in the future if you have any requests. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig with Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Bye.